0: Hey guys, it's Simona and I am back with episode 2 of Simona's Reality. I'm super excited to be filming my second episode now with a whole new group of people discussing something a little bit different. Um, This time we're going to be diving into the premiere and episode 2 of Sequester season 4, which I'm super excited about. It's really cool that I actually know some of the people who are on this season and I'm just ready to break this down. If you don't know anything about sequester, I highly recommend you go listen to the last 15-20 minutes of episode 1 where me and Andre break down sequester. Um, And once you've done that, come back here and listen to this episode where we're going to break down everything that happens in the first two episodes. And if you haven't seen the first two episodes, I would go watch them because we're going to be doing more of a strategic analysis and just kind of a player breakdown, the pre-existing relationships and all that jazz. Um, and so if you haven't uh, seen those episodes or listened to the section of my first episode or you know what sequester is, that's fine. I would go and do those things. But let's get into it. Let's meet my guest today. So today I'm here with my friends Peyton, Alec, Ben, Lewan, and Peyton's friend Alana. So I've known all these guys for a while. I met Ben years ago, I would say, and we all actually played Peyton's All-Stars season, which is... A sequester type format um his second all-star season of his game and that was recently filmed will be airing soon which i'm super excited about so if you guys want to go ahead and introduce each other starting with lawan
1: hi i'm lawan i am 18 years old and i am from pullman washington uh, i met payden a couple of years ago and after you know being friends with him after a while he introduced me to sequester actually and he got me into it and he actually brought me back three times surprisingly i don't know why but
0: yeah (laughs) Peyton.
2: Um, I am Peyton. Joining me today is my friend Alana. She's actually newer to Sequester and the reality TV gaming community than all of us are. Um, me, I've been here in like this community since I think twenty fourteen. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> over the past, I want to say like coming up two years. Um, was whenever like two years ago I started hosting Sequester. Um, it doesn't follow the show's exact format. I kind of try to, like, strive away from um, the show and do my own things while keeping, like, all the same, uh, like, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like, words and, um, like, twists and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, and that's about it.
0: Awesome. Ben?
3: Hey, uh, I'm Ben. I'm from San Diego, California. Um, I'm 20. I go to UC San Diego. Um, I met Simona years ago, like she said. Um, <laughs> used to live up in the Bay, which was uh, nearby, um, and I got into Sequester recently through Peyton's game, the Sequester game he hosts. His first season, actually, Luan and I were both on it. Known um, both of them for a while, um, and I met Alec recently in Peyton's latest season. Uh, but yeah, and. So I'm a big fan of sequester and a big strategist myself. I like the think. so that's me.
0: Awesome. And last but certainly not least, Alec.
4: Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Alec. I'm 18. I live in South Florida. I had no idea what sequester was until I played Peyton's seventh season, where I ended up winning, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, ever since then, I've gotten to meet people like Simona and Ben after playing Moan, because he was on production for that season, and I've gotten to grow in relationships with people, and I'm happy I'm here to pitch in on a podcast, because I've become a really big sequester fan, so
1: I'm excited. Yeah.
2: Also, I'd just like to take the floor real quick and point out everyone's placements on my game of Simona <laughs> and Alec reigning in with their highest placement being the winner and champions. Samana won my 8th season and Alec won my 7th. We did and do that. Ben <laughs> in the one highest placements both being 3rd. Ben getting 3rd on... Season four and one uh, getting third on season six, so all of them are used to making it far and the game is sequester.
0: I would say we are a bit of sequester experts, but we don't know everything. Um, so let's get into the breakdown of episode one. <laughs> So I want to start talking about this episode with talking about the first impressions kind of and the pre-connectedness of a lot of this cast. If you look at the people in this cast, um, Jacob, Muna, Katie, Spencer, Marcello, Brent, Brandon all played minis and were relatively, at least relatively well-known. Some of them very well-known within kind of the group of people who played minis and then shireen also played a few but she has this reputation of being on survivor and now coming on sequester and so people are gonna know who she is and it's super interesting um how all these people are very very connected um what are your guys's thoughts on that
1: i mean obviously i think um that's gonna determine how the first couple of weeks are gonna be played because, you know, that's just the obvious outline for the first couple episodes, but I feel like once we get down the road, that's going to start to crack, because you can't just always rely on your pre because then once you get to, say, final, like, what are you, what is going to be your case? Right. Working with the the whole season, like, you just kind of have to put a little bit more effort into building a social game and not relying on people that you already know, because, We've seen that that's not always the case, and you go home very early.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think an interesting dynamic is that Katie and Spencer literally played their first mini together. It's one of the more, like, well-known casts, like, kind of within the sequester community. There are a couple minis where it's, like, these casts are iconic, and they have one of the most iconic mini casts, and Katie kind of screwed Spencer over, and so I think coming into sequester live that was definitely an aspect um and jacob also mentioned having a very close connection with Marcelo. that he like sent him something and just having that kind of connection and then it really transferring over to like the irl like aspect of the game can be super super interesting the other thing oh and natalie also she's a mini winner and there are a ton of mini winners jacob won twice um there are a ton of people who have numerous wins or not very many and even if not in the sequester minis in the zoom minis that have stemmed from the sequester community and have kind of taken shape while minis are on pause um the next thing i think that sticks out about this cast is that there's one veteran um who was on season three jay west and I think that's a really interesting dynamic to have one person who has played the game before. Like, obviously, these people have played minis, but one person, Jay West, has played Sequester Live before, and what? how do you guys think that changed the game in this initial episode?
4: I mean, honestly, seeing how Jay West did do on Season 3, I don't think many people were as scared of him as they were of people... Like you listed before, like Jacob and Mona and Katie. Like, I, don't, I think they might have stuck out more as targets. But I think he definitely was, like, a bigger person to look out for just because he had been there in the past. And they knew how he acted in the past. Exactly. They knew they could. he could have just turned around and targeted them immediately, which, I mean as you can see in the episode, ends up happening eventually.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think managing your reputation, especially as a past mini player, a past survivor player like Shireen, um, or, again, like a past sequester player, um, is really important because people are going to have perceptions of you, especially if they are fans. Like, something that I thought was really interesting was Josh said that he's been listening to Brent on Rob Has a Podcast for years, and that's, like, really interesting because... Brent probably isn't going to know who Josh is, but Josh knows exactly who Brent is. And I think that's something really important to keep an eye on. Um, But that also, Josh saying that he listened to Brent on Rob Has a Podcast surprised me because I think Josh made a very rookie mistake of going to look for an LOS, a locus of safety, immediately. And that painted a huge target on his back, if anybody wants to talk a little bit about that.
2: Um, yeah, it was made very apparent, uh, as soon as Josh darted off to go look for that LOS, um, I think it was Jay West actually that made the first comment, which is a little bit of foreshadowing in my opinion, but, um, a good, like, I would say a good veteran play on Jay West's part, uh, because... He's seen how that worked in season three. When people go off to look for LOSs, they get a target on their back. So he saw that happening um, in the very early moments of season four and immediately called it out. And he was successful in doing so because everyone looked around the room, didn't see Josh, and noticed the fact that he was upstairs and uh, – it kind of started the snowball effect for Josh that episode.
0: I agree. I think it painted a huge target on Josh's back, kind of in general, showing that he's already paranoid. It's the same as in Survivor. You don't want to be the person looking for an idol on day one. That's just not the guy that you want to be. Um, And that's the guy that Josh made himself, which, like I said, surprised me. If he's listened to, like, these podcasts, watched these shows, like... That's something I feel like you would know not to do, but at the same time, I feel like once you're in the game, it's a little bit different. You want that safety, especially because seeing the whole cast and how connected they are, that might make you a little bit nervous. So let's talk about how this season, the twist is a little bit different. So I think the main... or one big thing is that los's aren't hidden so josh's big los search really ended up being for nothing um and the second thing is that instead of all of the votes for the person eliminated being revealed like they have in past seasons you choose three people's votes to reveal so you get to say did you vote for me did you vote for me did you vote for me and then you get to use that um that information to kind of guide your choice for the battle match if anyone kind of wants to go into that a little bit
3: yeah I think that's a really interesting twist um and I'm really interested to see how it plays out I can definitely see it being weaponized you know I like to think of how twists get weaponized and I can see people using that to like strategic advantage you know Mm -hmm. um but also because everyone's vote doesn't get exposed i think it's definitely going to encourage more lying because
2: there's more chance they'll get away with it you know um
0: yeah but it's just a so lot different. For...
2: something that i wanted to chime in um in terms of this whole twist change also the fact that whoever's voted out can now select anyone to battle and not just the people that voted for them so mm-hmm. we've seen in uh prior seasons people they'll know that a person's getting the votes and they can just easily throw away their vote. Well, now you can't do that this season because you can still throw your vote and it might not be enough.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So I think that this episode's twist was super interesting so the twist this episode in specific and the way sequester works generally is that every episode has a different twist for the round a different kind of voting twist so this twist you alternated between making somebody vulnerable and making somebody safe and I think that is a super great way to start off the season because it totally exposes relationships you want this person to have safety you want this person to have safety you're gonna try and make that happen even if you're planning seven moves down the road whatever you're gonna do what you can to organize and get that um, to be the case but at the same time if you're not safe you're gonna want people to vote with you um in exile so starting off um shireen had this important conversation with josh where she basically said i don't want you to go i want you in this game and i thought that was really interesting and very smart on her behalf because Josh had painted a target on himself searching for this LOS before the twist was even revealed. Um, And I think it's smart for her because he won't call her out, but she would need to be careful not to vote for him. Because if she did vote for him after having this whole conversation, I think that would make him feel very, very betrayed. Um, If anybody wants to talk a little bit more about that.
3: Yeah, um, I think it's always interesting when you um, give your word to someone that you won't vote them because then you have to either stick to it or not stick to it, and they can pretty clearly see if you do or don't, Um, especially with this format of calling out who people vote. Um, So it could work out for her if Josh were to call her out or if he were to stay. Um, But, yeah, I think it's a risky move because you're committing to something publicly, and if you go back on it, then, you know, you have consequences and in-game consequences. Um, But I think... You know, it could pay off. It's good to have people on your side. Good to have people think you want them in the game. Um so overall I think it's a I think it's a smart move.
0: Yeah. I think after Josh was given a red vest or vulnerability very early in the episode, his choice to give it to Billy was really interesting because Billy said she didn't know she was gonna get safety. She made a like a confessional in the diary room. She was like, I did not know he was going to do that, like, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was super interesting. That reminded me a lot of in this past season of Z-Fame Z, um, where the target for the week, Marvin, chose me as his house guest choice pick for the veto. And I think Josh was the clear target at this point. Marvin was the clear target at that point. And when the clear target chooses you for something... That kind of sends a signal to everybody else in the game, I think, because it can kind of associate you with the target, especially unknowingly. I didn't know Marvin was going to choose me as his house guest pick for the veto, and Billy didn't know that Josh was going to choose her for safety. And usually, you want something in return down the line when you make a bold decision like that, um... Or you're really just trying to send a signal, but I thought that was really interesting and that re- reminded me a lot of that situation. So the next thing I want to talk about was Billy's decision. So she didn't know that she was going to get called out for safety, but the next thing she had to do was make somebody vulnerable. And I thought her choice for Jay West um, was super, super interesting because she said, you haven't talk to me, so I'm going to choose you and he's a veteran, and I think that's a very rookie mistake. I think when you walk into a game, the first thing you want to do is talk to everybody, if anybody has any thoughts about that.
1: Uh, Yeah, um, if you are a veteran coming back into a new season, between that time, you should be able to analyze your past gameplay, and, you know, as me being a veteran, I had so much time to think about, like, Okay, what did I do on 1.0, and where I didn't do good in 6.0, and that was my lack of social game, and I definitely stepped it up the first week. I made sure I got zero votes, and I ended up staying. Whereas Jay West, I feel like he did not learn from his past mistakes, and he didn't really analyze his past gameplay going into this because, you know, he got the red vest, and you would expect a veteran like him to get a green vest and. I think that's what it all comes
0: down to. Yeah, I agree. I think especially episode one, it would be so easy to target the one veteran that as that one veteran, I would do everything in my power to make sure I'm in a good position. And he didn't. He didn't talk to one person, maybe even more people, but that one person can be detrimental to your game. And I think that in some ways it was. Getting the red vest was not a good position for a veteran to be in. The next thing that happens is that Muna and Jacob kind of point out to each other that they're a visible pair. They're both people of color, they're both seen around the house a lot together, and they're both wearing denim. And that's not something I would have noticed if they hadn't specifically called it out in the episode, but I thought it was super interesting how they thought they would automatically be associated together because of that. And I think that even the smallest thing can associate you with a pair as someone, uh, as a pair with someone, sorry, and that can end your game if you're associated with someone that you don't want to be associated with and they're a target that can make you a target by consolation um does anybody want to talk about that a little bit
2: yeah um just speaking on jacob and muna as a pair well we saw earlier on in the episode they do have a bit of history actually on the winners at war mini that mini is described as one of the most personal minis in the history of minis And um, it was between Jacob and Dash Katz. And uh, moving on, later on in the season, uh, Jacob went on to win, and it was because of Muna. And so they had that pre-connectedness going on into the season. So I think it's kind of, honestly, I find it cute in my opinion that they're this such close pair, and they're getting so paranoid about everything they're doing down to the clothes that they're wearing, and they think that they're just this, visible uh, duo walking around the house in front of everyone
0: yeah and i think that was super super interesting um going back to jay west's reputation Muna confronts him because jay west was throwing out her name a little bit and i think that kind of connects to the whole point of the the night one alliance because previously in the episode there was this alliance of like the six that was made it was jay west brent jacob Muna, katie and marcel and the idea was that we are the threats. So we are the six. We have to stick together. Um, and Muna was like, we had this alliance. Why are you now throwing out my name? Literally the first opportunity that you get. And he did the same thing with Katie, except Katie never confronted him about it. And Muna had a quote. She was like, I think if anyone should know to look twice before crossing my name or throwing out my name and crossing the street, Jay West should be the one to know to do that. And I thought that was another proving point that Jay West didn't learn from past mistakes he didn't learn from his past gameplay um Alec if you want to talk about that a little bit
4: you know I think Muna was very smart to confront him I think very often in games like this there could be an alliance that forms at the beginning and there's always someone that ends up being the first to flip I I don't remember who said it. I think it might have been like Marcella that was the one that was he was going to wait for the first person to flip and then turn it on, everything on them so they're the next target. And Jay west was the dummy in that one because he kind of fell for it. So I think Muda was definitely on her game by confronting him for that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that the idea of having this threat alliance is interesting because, yeah, you're like, okay, threats, we got to stick together. We can shield each other whatever, but you're a threat for a reason, you're a threat because you're good at the game, you love to play the game, you know how to play the game, and if you know how to play the game, you know that threats are gonna be harder to beat, you know, as you get farther down the line. They could be the one to flip on you and take you out. And so alliances like that, you know, similar to like a winner's alliance, are kind of doomed from the start because if you get to the end, you know, if if I wanted to get to the end in Peyton's All-Stars, And be like, look, I'm a winner, I got to the end. Bringing another with me kind of negates that triumph. Um, And so I think that this alliance was never really going to be successful. So the next, I think, big event in this episode is Katie gets put into exile. um, Which was kind of a plan between a lot of people. It seemed like a lot of people actually had a hand in this. Which surprised me due to her interconnectedness within the cast coming into the game. Um... But Katie's strategy, the moment that she gets put into exile is okay, no more safety, I don't care how close we are, I don't care how unsafe you feel, I'm unsafe, you're going to be unsafe with me. Um, And so Katie's plan becomes to stack exile with people that she trusts and she's working with, which I think is extremely selfish, but at the same time, I think it's smart. While there is the possibility that Brent points out that the people getting thrown in are the options for the battle match, I think that... You need votes to avoid the battle match in the first place, um, and that is a pretty smart strategy to make sure that you have people who will actually vote with you. Because I think if Katie didn't do that, she would have been in a much worse position than she ended up in. If anybody wants to talk about that.
1: Yeah, actually, funny thing is that um, I see a lot of your gameplay and yourself in Katie.
0: Oh my God. <laughs>
1: Without revealing too much from All Stars, um, there were moments where, um, <laughs> I see you and I see Kate. I'm like, they've done the exact same thing, and you guys have this mindset where it's like, if it, if I can somehow save myself as a last resort, I'm gonna have to do it by any means. And yeah, that's exactly what she did, and I think it was a good choice on her part because in the end, it did work for her, and Jay West got the boot, and you know, honestly honesty sometimes can save you in this game and that was a prime example of when it's the best you know chance to use honesty.
0: Yeah, I agree. I definitely saw a lot of my gameplay in that moment of Katie very much like not bothering with you needing to be saved too. Like, yeah, there's like you could take the strategy where like, okay, I need to be able to come back to the game and I need to have people to come back into the game with like no. Like I need to stay in the game and I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay in the game and I think that was definitely Katie's mindset, and I think I would act the same in a similar situation. Um, The next thing that I thought was really interesting was that Katie pulled the girl card immediately, and I think that's something that was really interesting. She was like, we don't want a girl to go first. There is already one less girl than guy um, in this cast, and I thought it was really interesting that she did that. I think... It's always a controversial play, but sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think it's also so overused that it doesn't always work anymore, you know? It's like, okay, like, we get it, you're a woman. Like, yes, woman empowerment, like, yes, but I I think that in these games, everyone, like, especially the men are like, I I don't care, like, you're saying you want a a man to go? Like, I'm I'm a man, like, are you saying you want me to go? And I think that this especially could have... Been maybe not the most successful use of the girl card. I've seen more successful ones, but I definitely think it was a choice on her part if anybody really wants to talk about their experience with that as a man. I'm going to go ahead and
2: chime in. Um, I was actually... This is a little bit off topic, but I was going to disagree with you. Um I know you're known for being a woman hater, but I uh- think that there's actually... <laughs> Uh, just uh, all jokes aside, I think that there's like actually a good girl thing going between Billy C, Muna, Rachel, and I'm trying to remember who's the fourth and not um uh, there's a there's a girl I can't remember her name. She's yeah. it's Rachel.
0: Yeah.
2: It's Rachel, Muna, Billy C, Shireen. And... Shireen, yeah. Shireen, yeah, that's who it is. Thank you, Ben. It's Shireen those four girls um I think that's actually gonna be a pretty like tight alliance moving down the line so um I just think that it was Katie's um use of the girl card in that situation she just like I don't think she pulled it off the right way uh versus like other girls who are sticking together
0: yeah I agree I think that there could definitely be I mean, I think the thing between those four is definitely strong, but Katie not being a part of that, I just don't know how successful that gonna Right, was. right. And
2: she's, she's not a part of that for a reason.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I would say that the next big piece of the episode, and I think this is probably the most interesting course of events um, in the episode, was the whole Brent, Spencer, and Muna situation. So, basically... In Katie's panic, she says, I want Brent in exile with me. And Brent is like, why not Spencer? Why do you trust me more than Spencer? You played a mini with Spencer. Like, why me? Because Brent started panicking a little bit. He sees himself as a threat. He knows he could be easily targeted. Really did not want to go into exile. Um, And so, basically, once... Katie basically confirms that she wants him in exile with her and this whole course of events takes place. She saves Brendan um, and then Brent says, he promises he will put in Brent. Brent goes immediately to Muna. He says, Muna, I will give you safety if you put Spencer in exile. And then Muna circles back around and ensures that Brent actually goes to exile so she'll get the safety. And I think this is so interesting. It's episode one. These people with these pre game connections are already selfishly turning on each other in many, many ways. And I think this is the perfect example of it for pre-connected players, basically trying to get themselves out of bad positions. Spencer doesn't want to go in. Brent doesn't want to go in. Muna doesn't want to go in. Brandon's already safe at this point, so Brandon's like, oh, I promised Katie I would put in Brent. I'm going to put in Brent. And then Muna uses this opportunity to kind of secure her safety and also potentially Katie's safety, Um, if anybody wants to talk about that.
3: Yeah, this was definitely a highlight of the episode for me, um, specifically specifically because I'm a big fan of Muna, and mm-hmm. um, just to see her pull off this little move for herself was pretty cool because it was pretty quick and pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it excited me because I feel like that's what Sequester is all about. I feel like the way this game is formatted with all these cycles where the chain of getting safety and who gets votes and whatever is so complex, it allows for like small deals to be made and stuff like that. So I feel like the game is so live and unpredictable. Um, But, yeah, it really shows that people are willing to be selfish in this game and throw others under the bus to ensure their own safety. Um, And I just hope it bodes well for a season of strategy like that because that's exciting.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Right after this whole situation, or I guess more in the middle, Brent in his confessional after Brendan chooses officially to send him to exile he calls Brendan a quote boring straight white boy, and I thought this comment it was it was very Brent, it was very funny, snarky, whatever, but what I found really interesting about it and that kind of stuck out to me was that I think the like the reality TV community, specifically like a community like Sequester full of fans um and also the fandom that we're all a part of, they view like the quote straight white guy. The, in the polar opposite way that the society does society, I mean, theoretically sees straight white men as like the ideal, you know. Even though obviously that's not the case, Brent calling Brendan the boring straight white boy kind of highlights this opposite stereotype of the white guys, the straight white guys in um these types of games. Because especially in the fandom, you know, there's so much fuss about ensuring that your cast is diverse enough, ensuring that there's a good enough ratio of girls to guys, ensuring that there are enough people of color, enough people of varied sexualities and gender identities, and that being so important and so key in the fandom and especially like Audrey, I think being the host of this game, also having that be such an important part, Brent making this comment, I think, kind of highlighted the difference in perception um, which I just thought was really important to kind of point out. If anybody wants to comment on that,
1: um, yeah. Over time, we we tended to just create this system where we view straight white men in a different way, and it's because there's a vast majority of diversity in this community, and that's really important to us because we need to be able to have people to relate to, people that we can look up to in these titans and needs, and yeah um when he made that comment it really just exemplified like how we view straight white men we don't think like they're the freaking devil or you know but we do tend to just be wary about them just because it's different in this community
0: yeah i totally agree um alec you wanted to say something
4: i was just gonna say i think um it's obviously very important to show diversity especially in a big enough franchise like sequester like that's the real deal like you got to really show all the diversity that is in store and I think for Brent to make a comment like that I mean it's really interesting because yeah in society it's taken as the typical straight white man is like the superior obviously yeah you said it's not the case but In a show like this, sometimes it's turned around where they're the hated and they are the boring straight white guys. So it's very interesting to see how it flips one way or another. Like, it's kind of interesting to see how the
2: dynamic shifts in the social setting, like sequester.
0: Yeah. Peyton?
2: Yeah. um, I was just going to step in and say, um, just to kind of, like, maybe say it, like, into a Better way than what LaWan was saying, like no shade towards him, was like <laughs> we're very used to seeing these straight white men win the shows that we love, and those being Big Brother, Survivor, The Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of every single one of those shows I listed, majority of the winners are straight white men. So when you step into these fandoms and communities built up of the fans, uh they often tend to be um not straight white males. So it's very like it's I think we just all wanna see a change. And um mm-hmm. that's like very it's seen in I would say even my franchise. Uh throughout the eight seasons shown on my page and the one all star season, only one of those winners have been a straight white male. And um I think it just goes to show that there's a big difference in um the mainstream tv shows that do cast everyday people that are used to normal society and the fandoms and communities that we're a part of
0: yeah ben
2: um yeah i think another thing that interests me about this
3: is that i think it really deals with the fact that a lot of people in the fandom root for like the women and other types of minorities on the show um i mean women aren't like minority but there's sort of a you know there's a power imbalance in society for sure it's important to acknowledge and you know different identities have different privileges so in these games which are like microcosms of society to see like the script of privilege get flipped like that is it's kind of great so that's another thing is that it's you know that that's another reason why people don't necessarily root for the
2: straight white man the way that they're like supported in society Um, one last thing i want to say is i can guarantee you um everyone in the reality tv fandom and community we always root for the underdog and that just usually happens to be the not a straight white man
0: yeah
1: especially because they tend to band together when they're casted together and that's not so fun to see right i think the unfortunate reality is that even with the diversity that you know, Audrey and, you know, Peyton have put in to work into diversifying their cast. We still end up having the white male winning, which, you know, reflects a lot on the real world sometimes. It sucks, but that's just the tea.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's super interesting because at the beginning of this season, before it started airing, there's this thing called draft sequester, where you kind of get points based on various things that happen throughout the episodes. Um, And I drafted a team and part of that is also choosing your winner pick and I actually chose Brendan as my winner pick and I'm thinking about it now and it wasn't like Brendan's the straight white guy he's gonna win, it was just kind of my natural prediction and I'm kicking myself because I wish I had predicted someone like Muna as the winner because Your winner pick is the person you want to root for, and I'm not saying I don't want to root for Brendan, but I would love to root harder for Muna and have more reason to root hard for someone like Muna because I love her, she's an icon, and honestly one of my favorite people in the season so far. But moving on a little bit from that, um, I think that was a really important thing to talk about and a good segue to take, but the next piece is Rachel kind of talking about how she thought she'd built these bonds that were really good, really strong, um, and then it ended up being that we were late in the chain and she didn't have safety and she didn't have any plan in place for safety. Um, and I thought this showed some self-awareness, um, but also showed that these pregame connections are probably a little bit stronger than we intended or maybe initially predicted um and probably stronger than audrey intended but it's hard to say on that one if anybody wants to speak on that
4: i mean hearing how rachel was surprised about how she was so disconnected one it's good that she was able to recognize that for sure and two it's kind of good that she was given a slap in the face because now it could be used to her advantage to where she can really build on those connections with people that she sees are connected to the game, and it really could further her spot if she plays the right card on it, which, her being so self-aware, it does give us a good hope for her that she will be able to do that. So I'm looking forward to see how she does with that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think being disconnected can be both an advantage and a disadvantage. Obviously a disadvantage because you lack some awareness of the previous connections, Um, but an advantage because... You can also say I don't have connections, I'm a free agent, like I don't know as much about what's going on. It kind of reminds me of this Zoom mini that I played um, a couple weeks ago, shout out to Tyler and Elemental Shift, where I was in a tie with me and this guy named James and James was probably the most connected person in the cast and I was probably the least connected person in the cast. And so when giving speeches for saying like, keep me because this keep me because of that my main plea was that i'm not connected james is super connected you can use me i need people to work with james already has these built-in connections and i ended up staying by a very small margin but i still ended up staying and i think that says a lot about how being a disconnected player can actually be a really big advantage in these types of games
4: that's actually exactly how i was able to pull off Peyton's win of his game i came in first game ever in the community i didn't know anybody and most people would think that's a disadvantage but i was able to make brand new connections first impressions that people just saw me as the fun nice funny kid that was just playing sequester for fun until i stabbed them in the back <laughs> and they didn't get coming and honestly i'm kind of hoping rachel gets that storyline i'm really pulling for her
0: i would love to see it i would also i think based on episode two we can get into this later but i think based on episode two i think billy is a little bit more likely to have that kind of storyline um but we will obviously get into that later when we discuss episode two so i would say the last part of this whole chain that I thought was a little bit funny, No Shade to Spencer was this whole Captain America speech about your lies and your promises and the importance of your word in the game, you know, and they had like this music dramatically playing in the background, like, I thought it was very funny, I think Spencer was very much trying to be the main character, trying to act like he had this huge role in this episode and the outcome, because I mean, in a way he did, he decided the last two people to go into exile, but katie was already set up well enough in exile with brent you would think and with spencer um being in exile with her um but i just thought that spencer's whole speech was a little bit unnecessary a little bit funny um but also like everything you said was true you know your word in the game is really important but i think it was over dramatized a little bit so if anybody wants to talk about that before we get into the whole actual vote of the episode
2: yeah um i (laughs) i agree with you for the most part he was very much trying to i think benefit his own game with that he saw the obvious move which was three people are about to go into exile and you have an opportunity to talk to two of them Mm -hmm. uh, like without everyone else being there and he took that just as anyone else would and he does kind of drag his whole time out with a long boring speech and as we could see, that prior deal he made to Jacob paid off in Jacob's benefit, and he just gave the safety to Jacob. But what I was gonna say was, you knew that Natalie and Rachel—they were just saying yes because they they had to be there. As soon as they hit exile, they were gonna do whatever they had to do to stay in the game.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and then I think
2: also, yeah, you,
3: know, you said you said something when we watched the episode that was ringing true for me with this whole speech was that spencer wants to be the main character of the season Mm -hmm. but isn't quite hitting the mark and i just thought that was pretty accurate here
0: yeah i think that also can play it plays a little bit into the edit you know i think the editing did hit him a little bit dirty but also rightfully so um it also kind of goes back to the whole straight white male stereotype and how i don't think they're gonna let that be the main character of the season i think there are gonna be multiple strong storylines and Maybe Spencer's a part of one of those, I think there's one developing, or was one developing with him and Katie, um, but I think that this speech was kind of him being like, guys, your word in this game, and then being like, okay, but like, what are you doing? Like, like, what are we actually doing? (laughs) Um, so the next piece of the episode, and I would say the biggest piece of the episode kind of wrapping up, is the actual vote that takes place within Exile, where Everybody in Exile has to figure out who they're going to vote out. So you have Katie, who J West tried to bring into Exile as a big threat. And then you have Josh, who went on this immediate LOS hunt um kind of exposing his paranoia, potentially un uh unintentionally, but he still did it. So the very first thing that happens, the moment that the time starts, Katie stands up and she goes Jay West, did you want me in here so you could work with me or did you want me in here as a target? And initially, this moment I thought was super interesting. Initially, Jay West was like, Oh, no, no, no. I wanted to work with you. Da, da, da. And then she keeps talking and he goes, Actually, I'm sorry, I lied. I wanted to target you. And I thought that was really interesting how not only did he lie, but then he stopped himself, admitted the truth, but also, like, basically told her straight up to his her face that he lied a moment ago right to her face, um, which I thought was really interesting. But in that moment, they're able to kind of unite and switch the target onto poor Josh, poor innocent Josh, poor unconnected Josh, who really just wanted to find an LOS because he was paranoid and, based on the way this week ended up going, maybe because of that, was paranoid for a reason, if anybody wants to talk about that.
3: Yeah, um, I thought that was actually... One of, another one of the highlights of the episode for me, um, was that confrontation Katie, um, did to Jay West, um, uh, I thought that because it definitely worked out in her favor because she got Jay West to switch to Josh. Um, and I think it was, I think he, she made him crack under pressure. Um, and <laughs> so that was kind of cool to see, to see her get the target off her own back and onto someone else. Um, and Luan, if you want to speak any more to that.
1: You know, going back to what I said earlier, like if you are a veteran and you are invited to another season. You need to get your head together and you always have to just piece together. How how are you going to go into this in a new approach? Because it, it certainly didn't work the first time. So, you know, try something else. And maybe he did, but that something else did not help him at all. He definitely played a messy game with no disrespect to him as a person but um you can't just burn bridges like that you can't just immediately say i'm doing this for you and then change mid-sentence mid-sentence that oh no i was like actually targeting you like that's just not the best move and i felt like he should have known better and especially in a game like sequester where sequester your social game is probably the most essential movement of
0: Your game. Yeah. The next thing that happened, and I think this is again one of the most significant events of the episode, just because of the actual impact that it had on the results of the episode, was Josh pulls Brent aside and he says, Brent, I've been listening to your podcast for years. I would feel like personally offended if you do not vote with me. And if you do not vote with me specifically for Katie, because I'm going to be exposing your vote. He tells him this all up front. He says, I'm going to pull you into a battle match. And this strikes so much fear in Brent's heart. Brent is clearly not wanting to go into a battle match, which I agree, probably smart. My strategy would not be win a bunch of battle matches. My strategy would be avoid a battle match at all costs. But this causes Brent to end up voting for Katie like he promises Josh and I thought that was super interesting because Brent was put into exile initially to help Katie and he even made a comment saying why do you trust me more than you trust Spencer or someone like Brendan I was like what is he alluding to? And it turns out he had a reason or she had a reason not to trust him because he did end up voting to her or for her. um, If anybody wants to speak on that a little bit, you know, I think it's really interesting how this happened in such a small group and how his one vote could have really impacted the entire outcome.
2: Yeah. um, I think that Josh used that to his full advantage. Um, I mean he probably would have done the same thing to Shireen or a lot of other people in that situation because mm-hmm. he's a fanboy. He's looking up to this person that he idolizes. And I mean, if I was in Josh's shoes, I would personally be offended too. And um, I mean, yeah, it probably made Josh and Brent closer, but at the same time, it didn't really have... It didn't work in josh's favor because he still got the votes
0: right i mean moving into the elimination of the actual episode um the vote was unsurprising josh was voted in um and he called out katie he called out jay west and he called out brent um so calling out katie revealed that she voted for him which made sense because she was the other name um calling out Jay West was also interesting because Jay West was the one, like we said, who put or tried to get Katie into exile as another target. And then calling out Brent made sense. He threatened him. It was good that he followed through. Um, but the this comes down to then the choice of who to go against. Um, Jay West obviously voted for Josh. Katie also voted for Josh and Brent voted for Katie, which surprised Katie, and you can tell that made her angry. Um, But initially, Josh says he is going to choose to go against Katie. Katie immediately flips, and LaJuan, this is what you were mentioning earlier with kind of my fight to not be eliminated, not be dragged out of the game, Um, she... Starts talking about how she was like, look, I had no choice. I had to vote for you. I was the other name. Jay West, he had a choice. He could have voted for me. He was the one who tried to get me in here in the first place. And Jay West, he's immediately like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he goes, Josh, if you want to win the battle match, pick Katie. And I forget who brought this up, but that's kind of an insult to both of their games. Josh, you're a weak player, need to challenge someone like Katie, and also, Katie is a weak player, and that's kind of a bit of a double whammy. I think, Peyton, you referenced that earlier.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't, like, uh, we've been referencing that this entire time. We, well, also, (laughs) I don't say we, I would say me personally, I... I think going into this season, everyone knew I was a huge Jay West fan. Uh, as soon as he got revealed as the only returning, I was absolutely ecstatical. Um I was so sad when Kevin beat him last season and I was so happy to see him get the opportunity to play. But that was the biggest rookie mistake seen by a veteran and not even that he did that two seasons in a row you just i love him to death but you just need to keep your mouth shut at these elimination ceremonies and go about your business because you did what you did and if he wouldn't have opened his mouth he probably wouldn't have gone in
0: yeah and i agree like you said josh listen to katie and switched his target onto Jay west calling Jay west into the battle match. And you see in the preview, kind of in their pre-confessional before going into the battle match, Jay west is just like, I gotta stay humble, you know, I've gotta stay calm, I don't wanna get too ahead of myself, but I think I've got this. You know, and he tries to keep this mentality, but then, when he gets into the game, um, he starts to get a little bit cockier slowly he's feeling better about his position with this puzzle which is what the battle match is and then um he starts to get a little bit more overconfident in the moment this happens there's a clear switch in the tone kind of in the music in the confessionals that they're showing. And it becomes very much a David versus Goliath story. The Goliath being Jay West, the veteran, and the David being Josh, the innocent guy who just wanted to look for an LOS and ended up being the target for the round. And in the end, Jay West loses and Josh triumphs over him, um, taking out the Goliath of this little scenario. And I thought that was extremely interesting. Um how that all ended up so if anybody wants to wrap up this analysis of episode one and then we can head right into episode two
3: um yeah to sort of tie it into the episode title which was poetic justice um i think it was interesting that the same thing did jay weston twice um and i'm pretty sure it was also referencing the fact that moon is a spoken word poet um but i thought that was a big uh, an interesting thing to me, a big part of the episode, um I liked that that was the title.
4: Yeah, Alec. Well, I was gonna say before, um I think Jay West. I think one thing that he really messed up on too is that, okay, in a game like Survivor, it's much easier to pinpoint a physical threat, but in a game like Sequester a battle match has no meaning. Like, it can be literally anything. So Mm -hmm. to say that you have a better chance of winning doesn't really mean anything because you don't even know what the freaking challenge is. Yeah. So I think his cockiness definitely took the best of him there. And I was personally really happy to see Josh pull it off because if Jay West had won that battle match, he would have gone off and been, I'm the best competitor and all that and all that, when really he just put a puzzle together first.
0: That's true. Yeah, yes. that's
2: very true. Um, I want to say one more thing that I think we've all actually looked over is Jay West is juror number one. Yep. Um, he's still gonna have a say so at the very end of this game, and I'm actually very um like curious as to what he's gonna say being the first person eliminated from this game because the game's gonna change by the time there's a final two, and I'm curious to see how uh how it's gonna be for
4: him yeah but you know what even though he talked a lot of smack i think he would still respect the fact that josh beat had been a battle match yeah in the end.
0: i would hope so i think that everybody being on the jury is very interesting um and i think that it's definitely going to make jury management very interesting and a very important piece of this season which we can get into more a little bit later um but unless anybody has any closing thoughts Let's get into episode two. So episode two starts with obviously a recap, as any show does, and then we also kind of get to go back a little bit um, and watch different people's reactions to Josh and Jay West being chosen, kind of people exposing what they hope will happen. Fast forward a little bit, Josh wins, you see everyone's reactions to that. Um, a little bit later but the first thing that happens before Josh returns to the group is he goes to this secret box room and gets to choose and they they choose a box basically there are three boxes he gets to choose one and they're calling this luxury row so basically they say two of these boxes have advantages one of them has nothing um so what is really your mentality if you have to like randomly choose between three options
1: my strategy going into it is never pick the middle box because probability is is that that's the suckiest box out of all three of them so it's either your first or third one but what he did was really unique and he decided to do bubblegum bubblegum in the dish and i was like okay but then he did it in such a weird way because he he counted like to four afterwards and growing up that was never what we did mm-hmm. so props to him for getting the los and you know king
2: king stuff
0: Then <laughs> Peyton.
2: What I was going to say is, first of all, um, I just love this twist to begin with. Um, Oftentimes, we see the person that wins the battle match, they go right back into the game, and then they keep getting sent right back in. So now this gives Josh a LOS in his pocket, and if they do decide to try to send him back in, he can play it and hopefully get himself out of a battle match and probably get that, like, like that whole story arc, off him. He won't have to have two battle match under his win, uh, two battle match wins under his belt going back into the house. He'll only have one in an LOS fight.
0: Yeah, I think that the fact that Josh ends up picking an LOS is super ironic because the whole reason that he was a threat in the first place was the fact that he went to search for an LOS.
2: Also poetic justice. Shout out Muna.
0: True. Very much Poetic Justice. Um, So I thought that was quite funny. So returning to the game, everyone is a little bit surprised to see Josh because J-West was this big veteran, you know? Um, But the main response to Josh's return is Brent being like, okay, I'm good with him, great. And people noting him and Brent as an obvious duo (laughs) because... Basically, Brent's vote was exposed in his favor. If anybody wants to talk about that a little bit,
2: everyone was kind of putting them as this pair. Last round or cycle, we saw Josh decided to expose Brent's vote, and um they made that deal. Brent didn't vote Josh, and uh I think I mean that was public. That was public knowledge to everyone. So after everyone saw that, they kind of put them um into this like. Duo, I guess you could say, and uh, that was like kind of shattered again whenever Josh returned to the game after the battle match.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so the next piece of the episode is like in any episode, the twist analysis. So, basically, the way that this twist works it's a little bit complicated, a little bit intricate. Basically, there's a detective and there's a killer. The killer is nominating certain people up. For elimination and the detective is trying to catch the killer if the detective catches the killer the killer is one of the nominees if the killer succeeds the detective becomes one of the nominees um so does anybody want to talk about that twist a little bit
2: yeah i just want to chime in and say i absolutely fanboyed whenever i saw this twist um like i've done a twist similar to this in my own game and uh it was cool to see it kind of like not replicated but like change in audrey's own uh twisted way and apply to her game and um and also i want to say it's funny because the whole like among us hype going on right now this is a (laughs) little bit similar to i mean not the same but like there is like the whole killer aspect and things of that nature but um lastly i just wanted to say this also gives us like with these randomized roles it gives us the opportunity to see these people that probably wouldn't have been like this early, like strategic this early on. They are forced to be strategic. And I'm talking about Billy, uh, CEO, as the um, killer. I personally think if she didn't get the killer this cycle, she probably would have been in like a purple edit and maybe even nominated. Mm-hmm. But um, she fortunately did get the killer role and she absolutely killed it. Um, and, yeah, so we got to see a lot of gameplay out of people we probably wouldn't have seen gameplay out
0: of. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, before you chime in, Ben, I think it was really great that we got to see Billy as the killer and Rachel as the detective. Two people who are less um, less connected, had a little bit less screen time in the first episode. It was really great to see them kind of come out of their shells a little bit and kind of be the stars of this episode. Ben?
3: Um, I was going to say something about that as well. I was really excited to see both of them um, because they both seemed to be people that were definitely playing the game in episode one but just weren't maybe at the center of it. Um, So to see them become the center of it was very exciting and I was especially very excited for Billy because Billy to me proved in episode one that she has a very smart head on her shoulders and especially knows how to play a low under the radar social game. so I was really excited to see her get the killer because I really felt like she was going to do something with it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with the villain edit that Billy was given this episode. Mm-hmm. It was so good. It was so well done. You have her all nice, innocent, talking to people. You think it's this person? No. And then you have her in the confessional with this dark bright red background like that kind of looks like whatever very like villain layer vibes and she's like cackling and i was just living for it peyton
2: i i kind of wanted to correct myself on what i said earlier um i said that like billy c wasn't this strategic person and like we wouldn't have seen her like being strategic these early rounds and what i meant was we wouldn't have seen her in this power position this early mm-hmm. on, um, like because like I said, this was all due to a randomizer, and at the end of the day, she executed uh perfectly. I think she probably played that better than a lot of other people would in her situation. And at the end of the day, um, like we've been saying from the start, we got to see we got to see a better side of her that uh, none of us were expecting.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think. Also, her decisions were super, super smart. So, firstly, starting with Billy, she chose to nominate Natalie, Spencer, and Brent. Um, Natalie, she didn't feel like she had a great connection with. Spencer, um, I guess kind of the same boat. And then by nominating Brent, uh, she was trying to frame Katie, which I thought was so, so smart. There's a lot of foresight there, um especially after Brent's vote for Katie was just exposed and Katie easily would have felt betrayed by that and then moving to Rachel she chose to stay undercover as the detective even when she was called out someone saying if you're the detective expose yourself that was Brent actually um and I think Her reasoning for this choice was super smart. Yeah, as the detective, you'll have people bringing you information, but not knowing who the killer is, the killer is going to tell you whatever you want to hear, whereas if you're um, undercover, you don't really know who the detective is, people are going to be more honest with you because they don't know if you're going to be the one who's going to guess them, Um, if anybody wants to talk about that and their choices a little bit in that section.
4: Um, I think Rachel at first was right about keeping it to herself. I think throwing it on the table could have painted her as a target, especially for the killer. But also I think holding it in for as long as she did really put a red flag on her back because she obviously upfront lied to everyone and it really could have blown up in her face, which it surprisingly didn't. And for Billy, I mean, the one thing about this twist that I think is maybe not unfair, but I guess unpredictable, is I feel like everyone in this cast is pretty smart and a pretty smart, well-rounded player. Like usually at Big Brothers, there's that one crazy, kooky person that like has no idea what they're doing. But in this cast, everyone has a pretty good idea of what's going on. I feel like they know what the right move is to make for them. And I think no matter who the killer was, I think they had a really good shot of pulling it off.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. So, moving into the next section of the episode. um, After this twist is revealed, the first thing that Brent does is he pulls Katie aside. And he tries to basically explain himself, explain the threat that he was facing. um, And he proposes this, as he calls it, marriage of necessity. Basically, he tells Katie, if you get voted out, you pull me into the battle match. Um, and then he basically says, if I get voted out... I'll pull you into the battle match and I think that was his mistake. Um, I think it was very smart of him to basically offer himself up as a scapegoat if Katie goes into the battle match because then Katie would know that Brent is gonna fight hard for her not to be put into the battle match Um, but I think that what turned Katie away from this deal was that Brent was also saying I'm gonna put you into a battle match. She's like no 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 you wronged me you owe me like this shouldn't be a two-way thing while i understand his intention i don't think it was as successful as he wanted it to be or as successful as it could have been um if anybody wants to talk about that a little bit
3: i think this was sort of the beginning of the end of brent this episode just in the sense that we saw him (laughs) spiral out of control um at this points in the episode and this was sort of when he begins to get desperate and i see this what this really was um was just brent's paranoia really getting the best of him because he really wanted to compensate for the fact that he just voted for katie mm-hmm. and i think he offered a lot more than he needed to like he just kept talking wouldn't stop it off more than he could chew um he really got ahead of himself there.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and amidst this conversation, people try and pop into the room and he he pushes Muna out of the room. He closes the door in Brendan's face and Brendan walks away like it's like she's like okay, like Jizo Like I thought this was kind of like you said the start of the end to brent um katie in her critique of brent in her confessional she compares him to a child and on top of that i think this kind of manifests the beginning of Brett's poor jury management a lot of people are starting to dislike him um between obviously katie now probably not the biggest fan brendan and Muna were just pushed out of the room by him even though he gave Muna safety last round and also rachel has mentioned not really liking him and i think While people may not want to keep him around, at the same time, if people really start thinking about the end game, they could start thinking about how people aren't going to like Brent, people aren't going to want to work with Brent and vote for Brent at the end of this game. Um, And so he could be a good person to keep around. So moving on to kind of talk about Billy's strategy regarding remaining anonymous as the killer. Um... The first thing she does is reassure Natalie that they have each other's backs. Um, She goes, Natalie, I have your back. You have my back. When Natalie is literally one of the people she nominated. Um, And she goes, Natalie, if you're ever a nominee, I'm not voting for you. And we'll see how that affects the rest of the episode later. Um, And also, she joins this search for an LOS, which makes people paranoid you know it proves that you don't feel safe you feel paranoid and if you're the killer obviously you're not going to nominate yourself but by joining that search for the LOS I think that was a very smart move for Billy because if she was like oh I don't need an LOS people would have been like what like what why don't you need an LOS like what are you what are you trying to say here and you could always use an LOS even if not now sometime down the line um so I think that search whether it be successful or unsuccessful was a good strategic move. If anybody has some commentary on that,
1: yeah, I definitely saw it, and um, it intrigued me in a way because um when you make bold moves like this in a social game setting, you're basically putting everything that you worked for at risk. Because when you lie, there is a you know chance of it backfiring or it being thrown around the house, and that can come back to bite you, and your gameplay, and. Whether or not it did work, I think Billy wanted to prove herself this episode, and I think that was one of the moves she did to prove herself that episode.
0: Mm-hmm. And good for mm-hmm. her, honestly,
1: because it it's showing progression of how she's playing the game. And if this keeps it, if she keeps going up like this down this route, then I definitely see her being one of the front runners in the season.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think these were some great moves for her, and as you watch the episode unfold. Nobody really catches on to Billy's antics at all. Um, so the next thing that I thought was interesting was that Rachel gave us this whole confessional about how she wanted to stay anonymous, but then reveals her identity to Muna and Shireen. And this kind of showed them as a significant three and i love this three i think this three is a great alliance three women of color i would love to see them slay this season um and i think muna's connections can definitely be an advantage for them to have um but i thought it was interesting that after rachel kind of told us she wanted to stay anonymous she basically revealed her identity to these people and on top of that she kind of told them she was like Basically, after the first round, the first two people put up were Natalie and Spencer. And she said, I don't mind these people who are being put up. Like, maybe we just don't catch the killer. Um, Peyton, if you have any thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, something I was going to add in was uh, this three we saw between Luna, Rachel, and Shireen uh, was one of the few alliances we saw from episode one actually kind of sticking together mm-hmm. again, moving into episode two. With the addition of Billy C in the first uh, episode, but we, as we all understand, Billy C was off doing her own thing as the killer, so it's kind of apparent why she wasn't there for that conversation. But um, I just think this is one of the few groups that we're seeing actually stick together versus these other groups that are at like disbanding and throwing each other under the bus at any chance in order to save themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree, and I think that. This three sticking together through both episodes shows that they have a little bit more strength um, than maybe some of the alliances so far do. Um, The next really significant thing, I think, was that the list of the killers' list was switched, which was allowed to happen once. um, And Billy switched Brent for. Uh, jacob jones which i thought was super interesting because jacob is a super well connected player um and i think that him being put onto the list could have shifted the target onto one of the other two already nominated people um and i think also this very much spared brent i think if brent had remained as a nominee or had become a nominee at least um i think he very easily could have gone home due to the number of people that he was rubbing the wrong way literally Muna said it at one point during the episode where she was like i feel like these two people are pawns for a reason and the third person going up is gonna be somebody like uh brent and literally name dropped brent and that was what was supposed to happen until billy switched her list at the last month minute um alec if you want to talk about this a little bit
4: yeah um i think billy definitely played the right card on that on that because her strategy behind it was that she was going to pin it on to brent and for her game brent leaving which most likely would have happened if he was a nominee is not best for her because like you like you said his poor jury management is going to be a good factor for her going towards the end so i think jacob jones going in there is a big deal and i think her doing that took it even further off herself because like everyone started thinking later on that it was one of their allies trying to turn it away from them and billy was literally in the best possible spot she could have been in and i think that move of her was literally the best possible option for her
0: yeah i agree i think that was really smart on her behalf Um, the next thing that happens is, after, earlier in the episode, after the first nominees are put on the block, Brent announces, he's like, if you are the detective, you need to reveal yourself, and Rachel stays quiet. She doesn't reveal herself, but after Jacob Jones becomes the third nominee, Rachel kind of, like, volunteers herself and says, yes, like, I am the detective. She reveals herself, um... And I thought this was super interesting to do this then because revealing herself so late in the game, I think I think she would have benefited a little bit more from doing it maybe after round one. She could still benefit from getting that genuine information in the beginning um, and then in the later rounds, people being able to trust her and being able to bring her information. Um, ben, if you want to talk about this a little bit.
3: Yeah, um, I think it might have been a really smart strategy to remain anonymous if she had been able to get an accurate read, but as we saw, none of her guesses were actually accurate. Um, so I don't think it really benefited her in the long run because she did it to try to get in, more information out of people because she felt like she would be more trusted, but it didn't really help. And then when she exposed herself for the third round um, and people were you know frustrated, but they were instantly started working with her, it still didn't help. Um, And I still, I want to call attention back to the fact that I think Billy was actually one of the only people that nobody ever really suspected for the Mm -hmm. killer. Yeah. So I just think that points to the impressiveness of Billy's maneuvering through this twist. And I'm really excited for her to see more of her. Um, But yeah, I don't think Rachel handled this detective so well. I think Billy really outplayed her this cycle.
0: Yeah, I
2: agree. Um, something i was gonna say is although we we keep mentioning all of rachel's mistakes she's made this cycle um in which i agree she has made a lot of uh, mistakes this cycle she is not having to reap the consequences of her mistakes whatsoever like a lot of other contestants are this season and um i think that's actually beneficial for her uh i know we haven't really talked about it yet but like Later on in the episode, we see she gets threatened for the battle match, and she's yet again a nominee like she was on Cycle 1, and ultimately she survives, but she yet again received a couple votes this uh, Cycle, but ultimately she's not someone that's really like i said having to reap the consequences like other contestants are
0: yeah i agree and i don't think she's being looked at as a target and i guess we'll have to see in next week's episode if she remains under the radar or if her poor job as detective ends up being detrimental to her game um but for now it looks like she was in a fine position i mean people wanted to keep her safe when she did end up as a nominee um and Good for Billy. Billy succeeded and didn't end up as a nominee. I think if Billy had ended up as a nominee, I think we all would have been pretty surprised after how good of a job she was doing in the early parts of the episode. Um, But going to a conversation that Shireen and Josh had... I think that Shireen is just the queen of reads this she season. She is reading everybody to filth. She has this conversation with Josh, and Josh goes, "Shireen, I want you as my number one. I don't care who you're working with. We might vote differently, but I believe we can come back together." And I've had these types of conversations before. This reminds me of a season of like reality X, even that I played like way back in the day with Austin with an E, and I was like, "Austin, we may not vote together, but I have your back." And I ended up targeting him very very much um and he ended up winning the season so maybe maybe that's foreshadowing a bit here um but i think those types of conversations are very interesting and then i think that shireen totally read josh on this conversation and her confessional she talks about how she isn't sure how genuine this is you can't take these types of offers at face value um, but you have to wait until the actual voting strategizing happens and the vote reveals happen to really see how true to Josh's word Josh is going to be. But then the other thing that she says, which I thought is really interesting, she was like, the one thing I do know is that he wants to use me as a shield, which I think was such good self-awareness on her part. And just good awareness of the target that she carries on her back. That's not something that ever would have my mind um, as something Josh was doing because he didn't verbalize that in any confessionals. But I think that was a great read for Shireen, even if it wasn't intentional on Josh's part. Um, the next conversation that I think is extremely significant is this conversation with Marcello and Katie. And there are a few good quotes in here, um, I think, My favorite line of the episode was in this conversation where Marcello goes, she's a snake, but she's my snake. And I'm not afraid of snakes. And this was the moment where I was like, Luan is right. I I am like Katie. Like, my username is Siona's snake, for God's sake. Like, I when she was being referred to as a snake, I was like, damn. Like, Luan read me a bit there comparing me to Katie. Um... But basically, Marcello throws out this idea of voting Natalie um, because Katie can't vote Spencer due to their previous game connection and they also kind of bond over a dislike for Shireen, which is sad um, <laughs> because I'm a big fan of Shireen this season. And later, Marcello kind of throws Katie under the bus um, but even though it was him who threw out Natalie's name in the first place so i think these two conversations were really significant if anybody wants to talk a little bit on either of them
1: yeah um it was a good conversation with shireen um i think the more she's self-aware the more she's able to put herself in situations that's going to get her further in this game will that make her a target i don't know i don't know how well other people can read certain players as for the Marcello and Katie conversation, I don't know, I kinda feel like Marcello in a way is trying to construct a good social game and by talking to even the big threats, that's gonna help him in the long run because say Katie is thrown into battle match, she's not gonna choose Marcelo because Marcello is choosing to have these conversations with people and I think that's smart on his like point. The only thing is that if he does it too much, it could be his downfall and that there is a way of playing too hard and that's by just talking to everyone constantly because then they're going to feel like you owe them and you can't owe everyone everything. So going forward, I hope Marcelo, you know, tones it down a bit and talks to less people and really just draw the line with who's his allies and who are the people that are expendable to him. And, you know, that's all I have to say on that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that playing good so- or both sides, two sides, all sides, whatever. Playing everybody can be detrimental to your game, but if you don't get caught, it is a great position to be in, especially if you don't really know where you stand with different people. Um, But at this point in the episode, Billy succeeds. She remains anonymous, which is great for her. Um, And then we see the final nominees. So the nominees remain the same. Of course, it's Natalie Spencer and Jacob Jones. And then because she failed Rachel ends up as the fourth nominee and the first thing that kind of happens with the voting strategy is not everybody deciding who they want to target but the nominees kind of teaming up with other nominees deciding who they want to target which reminds me of a situation that actually happened recently in Alec in your mini where the rest of us all ended up as nominees then Peyton played in LOS and this girl Cameron who we all weren't really connected to Uh, ended up on the block with us Ben if you want to speak a little bit about that situation
3: yeah that was so much fun actually it was sort of a sad moment for us um, when you know we were all on the block as well as Marvin who was you know we were all working with and then Peyton played his LOS and I think the second Cameron hit the block I like looked at everyone else's faces and I think we just kind of all came to the same conclusion that we were like, yeah, we're all going to work together to get camera. <laughs> yeah. And it works. Um, and I think that, so it's a very valid strategy. Yeah. Um, and we see it this episode when, um, Spencer and Natalie initially team up to try to get votes on Jacob Jones. Um, and more uh, later about how much that works out, but it's a very common strategy. I think it's, um, a symptom of paranoia. I think paranoia brings people together. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they both wanna survive, then they'll work together to get someone else out. Um, And it can be beneficial. It can be an attractive thing for a nominee because nominees have like the most motivation to try to make things happen this cycle clearly Mm -hmm. because they're the next, like on the chopping block. Um, So working with another nominee can be very powerful.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. The next thing that kind of happens is people start talking about burning their votes on Natalie, but the thing that's important to note, even in such a small cast, is that burn votes can accumulate, especially with such a small amount of options. Um, The other thing is that Billy never heard about the plan to flip it off of Jacob, onto Spencer, anything like that, and so I think that also shows a little bit of her disconnected witness um alec if you want to talk a little bit about that
4: yeah this is the point where i think billy really outplayed this entire entire round up until this point i mean i think if billy even was caught as the killer and ended up with a nominee i honestly still think she would be safe like i don't think she would be even thought to be voted out Mm -hmm. but this point right here i mean she literally told natalie right to her face she wasn't going to vote her out and that's the thing with not even just sequester but any game it's like you can't make these empty promises that you can't make up for or else you're going to get the end of it because that's what happens in sequester especially in this kind of format where people like to get their revenge surprisingly she wasn't which honestly i was confused about i know you guys were too but i think billy really made a mistake here about burning her vote and she didn't even hear the plan flip for people that were voting for her. Mm-hmm. Especially in such a small cast like you said it's a very dangerous move and I think she really messed it up there.
0: Yeah, I agree. And after this, you know, Spencer's name is probably circulating the most. We even get a confessional for Spencer saying, "I know who I'm going to whose votes I'm going to expose. I know who I'm going to go in against. I have my speech prepared." And so he's panicked. He clearly thinks that he is in deep deep trouble and so he goes up to this group um which includes shireen and rachel and he says i'm gonna call out somebody who i think is weaker than me in a battle match he says this to them specifically definitely threatening them i mean he's a tall guy as far as you can tell through the screen you know and definitely pretty strong um and so him going up to these two girls was definitely a little bit intimidating definitely a little bit threatening and Once again, Shireen, the queen of reeds, reads Spencer in a confessional. She said, if you know anything about me, like, you know, the best way to get my vote is to appeal to my emotions and definitely not to threaten me. And so she basically confirmed that there was no way she was going to be flipping her vote off of Spencer from that point forward. But I understand Spencer's mentality. I think it's definitely difficult to be a nominee, you know, literally today... I was in a Discord game, and I was taken out, and I was having to have these conversations where I was like, oh, you know, like, it's okay if you vote to evict me, like, that's fine, but on the inside, you're furious, you're fuming, you're like, are you kidding me, this is absolutely stupid, like, we built this connection, what happened to this connection? And so it's so difficult for Spencer as a nominee, where you're not over text, you know, texting these people to be in person, having to keep your cool, and be like, okay really nicely like i think you should vote to keep me for these reasons instead of being angry and intimidating and maybe a little bit threatening um and i do think that was a bit of a flaw because i do think otherwise he could have won those votes over um and one of his snarky comments that kind of shows his frustration in addition to the threat that he makes to Sharina's is Rachel, is him, like, kind of making fun of Muna. Muna was like, I can't vote Natalie because we're from the same state. Spencer was like, what? Like, oh, news flash! you know, he made some comment like that. Like, I didn't know that, you know. It's really hard to, like, keep your cool about that kind of thing. Um, but I really do understand where he was coming from, um, if anybody wants to talk about that a little bit
4: i think for Muna, it was honestly kind of a weak excuse there like i think there was many other things she could have said to, to back that excuse mm-hmm. up and we live in the same state i can't do it <laughs> but i mean at that point she was as straight up as she could have been like she was gonna vote for him like she couldn't really do anything else but in spencer's head i totally understand why he was freaking out because he's a nominee and he's upset that people aren't voting people because they're from the same state right like i would be just as angry yeah
0: that would be a very frustrating thing to hear and yeah there was probably some bigger issue behind that but that wasn't what muna said ben
3: um and actually i just wanted to say that i think this was the first time this season so far that we've seen muna sort of stumble um and i thought this was sort of a stumble because She was able to pull out the waterworks and make an emotional plea back to Spencer and in the attempt to not make make him drag her in if he gets voted in. But then we see in a confessional that Spencer didn't buy it. And in fact, it turned him more against Luna um, and made him want to call her out more. So I thought that was the first stumble we saw um, from her. And I think she's been really strong so far, but I hope that she is able to get it back together and i hope spencer doesn't come for at all moving yeah. forward
0: yeah because you know
3: moon is my favorite too so
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure so the next thing that happens in this episode is we get to the vote reveal and this is when we get this confessional from spencer being like really you're not voting for someone because they're from your state like okay whatever i have my whole speech planned i know who i'm calling out like i'm ready let's do this he's defeated he's hopeless And then Natalie has the most votes. And this proves not only that he was able to sway things, but also that those accidental burn votes accumulate because there were so few options. And the vote, what we see at the end of the episode, ended up being like five to four to three. And one person voting differently could have changed the entire outcome. We see that Natalie votes for Rachel And by doing that, Natalie basically votes herself into the elimination because if Natalie had voted for Spencer, it would have been a tie and she wouldn't have necessarily gone in. And I think that's super interesting. The three people she calls out are Katie and Billy, who both voted for her billy after she promised her earlier in the episode she wouldn't and katie who explained to her that she had to burn but maybe also promised her that she wouldn't vote for her and then marcello reveals that he did not vote for her so he is in the clear she's relieved about that even though marcello threw out natalie's name to kaylee at a katie sorry in a previous point in the episode Um, so if anybody wants to speak a little bit about the surprising vote reveal, um, and who Natalie chooses to expose.
2: Yeah, um, I thought it was this. First of all, I don't think Natalie is the best, um, like whenever it comes to strategically thinking. Um, as we can see, she exposes Billy's boat, sees that Billy backstabbed her. Um, and I mean, Natalie hasn't been playing the best game. She isn't that socially connected. And one of her very few connections that she thought she had was Billy. And then she decides to test Billy's uh, loyalty by exposing Billy's boat. And we see that Billy is not as loyal as Natalie would hope to believe. So therefore, causing Natalie to say billy i'm going to be targeting you in the event i come back from the battle match which i think was yet again another poor uh, strategic decision on natalie's part you have the opportunity to challenge anyone this season this is the first season of sequester live that we're seeing you don't you can't uh you don't have to pick only the people that voted for you you have to pick the people uh, you can pick anyone this season and um you had an opportunity to not only call out billy and say you're targeting her but also take her out of the game and you didn't take that chance while you had it that's where my thoughts are at
0: yeah ben
3: yeah i just wanted to talk a little bit about burn votes um and you mentioned that they really do add up and we saw billy sort of become the victim of that um because when natalie called out billy's vote, and billy admitted that she voted for natalie she also said that it was a burn vote and she really didn't think that it was going to be Natalie and I believed her. I thought that she didn't actually know. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
3: so that's a case where we see someone's game get impacted by a burn vote. Um, and just to connect it to this other show, The Challenge, um, which is actually premiering a new season this Wednesday, I think.
0: Yep. Got on excited.
3: On one of their recent seasons... Yeah, very exciting. Um, on one of their recent seasons, Dirty 30, Dirty um, 30, There was a vote happening, and then it got down to the last vote, and the vote was two to one between someone. Um, And then this challenger, Veronica, um, someone had burned a vote earlier in the process. So Veronica was like, I'm tired of you guys not listening to me. And she voted for the person who got a burn vote earlier and got them sent in, and then they went home. So it just goes to show that. You gotta be careful with burn votes because they do send people home
0: mm-hmm. and in
3: this case they got natalie let it in
0: yeah lawan
1: i will give spencer credit though because i think he definitely used he i feel like he figured out that people were going to burn votes on natalie and he immediately used it to his advantage by using his numbers and also throwing that onto natalie just to save his ass i agree so props to him on that and i want to see what he can bring up in the
0: future. Yeah, I think in the first episode, I definitely underestimated Spencer. I'm pretty sure he was my first boot prediction, but he has been playing pretty smart, I would say. He's been in bad positions, and he's gotten himself out of it, um, and I don't think his connections are the strongest, but I'm hoping... You know, this episode he was complaining about not getting a chance to play the game. I'm hoping he's able to catch a break and solidify something with someone, you know, just to have that person because having that one person who you can tell anything to is everything in a game. So moving forwards, um, Natalie calls out Katie. Katie, this time, is unsuccessful on getting the challenge being pushed onto somebody else. Um, And these two girls are going at it in the elimination. You know, they're trying to toss um, ping pong balls into, like, different levels of cups. Um, And being in elimination is so difficult. It's so stressful, you know, because you want to stay calm because you know you're going to be a better challenger if you're calm. But at the same time, you're panicked. You know, you could go home. This, like, your game rests on this one challenge. And so I definitely felt the panic that they were feeling. Um, and the result is that Katie ends up losing, and this was the episode where I started to root for Katie. Episode 1, I was like, okay, like, everyone's gonna root for Katie, but this episode, I really started to root for Katie, especially because right before Luan pointed out that we're a little bit similar, I was like, yeah, he's right. He's he's a little bit right there. I don't want to, like, do my own horn or anything, but I, I do see the similarities that Luan was kind of alluding to. Um But I was definitely a little bit disappointed by this and a lot of disappointed by this, especially because Natalie didn't have very much screen time in the first episode, so I wasn't very attached to her yet. Um, And it is interesting, I think, how the edit that different uh, contestants are given can contribute to how much you root for somebody. Um, Yeah, if anybody wants to talk about that a little bit.
4: I was so sad to see Katie go. I... In the first episode, I mean, I she was definitely like one of my top top favorites, and I really wanted to see her do well. And it's really unfortunate the way it happened because I mentioned it before when the episode first ended. But it's the way it went from Spencer to Natalie. Like it, there were so many other people before her that we thought were going to end up going home, and then it ended up being Katie. Like no one saw that coming five minutes before. And I think that's one crazy thing about sequester is that a lot of things can be planned and strategized and everything beforehand. But at the end of the day, those five, 10 minutes of elimination ceremonies and decisions is the make your breaking point mm-hmm. for a lot of people's games. And that's why the finale for so many games are so tight because there's so little people left. And I think right, right now it's only the beginning. I think it's going to get even crazier as we go more into the season
0: yeah i agree lawan
1: going back to katie being put in um as much as she didn't have a very perfect game it wasn't her fault it wasn't her gameplay that like landed her in the bottom two at the end of the day and that's what i find so interesting is that you know it wasn't the like out of nowhere it was her
0: right and that's what
1: i like about sequester is because it adds a new level of, you know, mystery and excitement at the same time. And I, it's such a unique game show. And I think that's why it's building such a fan base is that moments like this, you're not expecting that at all. And I just like the way it's constructed to be in the end. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I agree. I think playing into how things are super unexpected, you know, we got, we get the vote reveal of who voted for who at the end of the episode, Jacob, who was the initial target of two of the nominees, got zero votes. And I thought that that was super crazy and such a testament to his social game. Um, going back to what you were saying about it being surprising that Katie was chosen, I totally thought it should have been Billy. I really thought Billy should have been chosen because Natalie was talking about how she wanted to go back in the game and target Billy because Billy said that Natalie wasn't playing hard enough. like if you think that, like, someone, you want to target someone, like, why wouldn't you call them into that battle match initially so that, like, you can take out that target, you know? But I guess I kind of get where she's coming from, um, wanting to call out Katie, but also I wish it had been, like, many, many other people. I don't think it was much a a move. Katie was already being targeted, obviously, um, and I don't think that that was, I mean, I guess you could say it was a smart move because she won, but I don't necessarily think that was, like, the most exciting move that she could have made um so with that being said um alec
4: i was gonna say um i think one thing that's really interesting is with this twist that you get to reveal three votes yeah billy kind of got exposed but marcello got really lucky because it just as easily could have been him and there were so many other people that voted natalie that we're just not exposed so it really comes down to those little nitty-gritty decisions that people have to make and i think marcello was really lucky i think obviously she would have chosen him if he had voted her out but he burned it on rachel another thing with burn votes
0: yeah i totally agree um so with that being said that's a wrap on episode two and now with two people gone um I think it would be awesome if we did a draft for winner picks um so let's get into that okay so now we're doing a draft where basically the idea is you want to pick the winner you want the winner to be on your team um so we determined the order by random draw and first up is Ben so Ben is currently kind of debating we know that Muna's kind of his favorite but if he doesn't pick her first he knows she's gonna get picked before he gets the chance to pick again so we're just kind of listening to Ben go through that a little bit
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm thinking about just to sort of talk through it I'm I'm sort of deciding between Muna and Billy right now because and um Shireen was considered but I don't know how good she would be at defending herself yet because she hasn't really been targeted. Um, Muna has escaped being targeted, though her name has been mentioned, and Billy is about to face the heat next episode with Natalie coming back in the house. Um, So I don't think I'm going to pick Shireen, and it's between Muna and Billy because they're both really, they both come across as very smart players. Um, I think they both have really good social game. I could really see one if not both of them making it very far, but I'm gonna go with Muna.
0: Okay, who's shocked? So Ben picks Muna, next is Luan, I believe.
2: You're on mute.
1: So it comes down to who I think is in danger for the next episode, so I'm not gonna choose Brent, Natalie, or Rachel, or Billy. Um, so, I think the person that has the most solid game and that's going to continue having the most solid game is Marcelo, so I will be choosing Marcelo.
0: Okay. Next is Peyton, I believe. Yeah, um,
2: so, with the basis of this being who we think is winning, um, I do. I, I was going into this picking who I liked and who I was rooting for, but thinking about who I want to win, I was just watching the episode tonight and I was watching her play and I brought her name up kind of a lot. But I'm gonna have to go with Rachel. Um, like I said, she makes so many mistakes and she's just not having to pay the consequences. And that's something I've seen, uh, that's a trait I actually see in a lot of winners personally in my game. Um, They do these small little things um, that people will see, but like, they just look past them because it's like, okay, whatever. And so I think she might have it in the back.
0: Okay, I believe I'm up next. Um, This is difficult. I think the person that I think is playing the best social game and will be in no danger anytime soon, is Jacob Jones. However, I do think <laughs> Alec's reaction. I do think that people could catch on to him sooner than later. And I do feel like he is very much the type to get taken out very close to the end. So I'm debating a little bit on that. I also know that Alec likes Shireen, and I would love to snatch as many of Alec's picks away from him as possible. Um, <laughs> um But I do think I'm going to have to go with Jacob Jones, just because I do think he has longevity, despite the fact that I think he could be taken out at the end of the game. Alec?
4: (laughs) Well, now that all my picks have been taken, (laughs) um, do I get to pick two now, because are we doing it?
0: Yeah, because of the snake order, so Alec will get to choose twice, and then it'll go back in reverse order, basically, so I will be next.
4: Hmm, okay. Well, sorry, not picking Brent. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i'm think, pretty
1: sure we're, we know who's gonna be stuck with
0: rent
4: <laughs> i think honestly like ben said we haven't seen a chance for shireen to defend herself but i think right now she's set up in a pretty good position to make it far i think a lot of people are honestly it's too early to tell which is why this is a draft and this predictions. but i think she could really pull herself to the end so i'm gonna pick shireen And for my second pick, I may get made fun of here, but I actually think that they can turn it around after the hectic first round that they had. I really think Josh has a solid chance of turning it around for himself. That story for him at the end in the final two, for him to say how he was targeted right at the beginning, beat J. West, came back in, and dominated to the end, I think that would be such a good comeback storyline for him. So I'm going to pick Shireen and Josh, crossing my fingers,
0: I think those are great picks. Oh, this leaves me in a difficult position. I don't want to choose two guys. (laughs) But at the same time, I definitely don't really want to choose Natalie. So if I wanted to choose a girl, I think my only option at this point would be Billy. Which I think I'm okay with. I'm kind of between billy spencer and brendan but i've already chosen brendan as a winner pick for another thing so i think i'm gonna kind of let that be between billy and spencer i think billy is gonna be a lot better of a game player and despite natalie coming after her i hoping she's gonna continue to be in a good position and i think i should take one person who has social connections and one person who doesn't have as many social connections so i think i'm gonna take billy
2: okay so um i'm gonna be picking brendan Um, (laughs) honestly he was overlooked this episode he he has good insight on the game i think he has a pretty good intuition and he like i said for the most part he was overlooked in cycle one he was also able to secure his safety so for the most part we've seen only good things out of him so i think he might have it in the bag
1: Okay, Okay. so I am left with someone who I feel like is going to be a floater, someone who is playing for second, and then someone who's just making too many flashy moves early. So with that being said, I'm going to pick Spencer, because between the other two, I just don't see Brent or Natalie making it that far in this season, and it's because of their weak game plays thus far. So sorry, but I will be picking Spencer.
0: I mean, it's interesting because I think despite his poor jury management, I think as a last pick, Brent is a fine person to add onto your team. But
3: And actually, to take over, I was hoping it would be between Brent and someone I sort of thought it would be. Um, sorry, did you have anything else to say about that?
0: No, you're good. It is your pick. Well,
3: cool. yeah, I, w- I sort of felt like it was going to come down to Brent and Natalie. Um, I don't really think Natalie has a lot of longevity in this game i'm Mm -hmm. sure she's gonna light a fire under her ass, but i don't know if it's gonna do much yeah Um, brent is a complete wild card um he completely crumbled to pieces this episode but i actually i want to pick him partially because i sort of relate to him like in games that i've played in the fandom sometimes i get a little bit messy and all over the place and i sort of expect to yeah, okay. <laughs> I sort of respect a little bit of chaos and mess in a player, and I think that Brent might actually be able to do something this season. Um, so I'm gonna pick Brent.
0: Alright, well with that being said, Natalie is the one who will remain unpicked, and will go to Peyton's friend, Alana. Um, And so I would like to wrap the episode up with a predicted top five for the season. And I think this is definitely going to be hard to tell, Um, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have. So we all just sent our individual top five predicted to each other. It looks like we all have Muna.
2: I see four for Jacob.
0: Four people have Jacob
1: i'll put jacob on my list i'll replace him
2: with i see four rachel as well
1: i see four or
3: three shireen actually
0: we have a lot of the same people a lot of a lot, a lot of, of rachel yeah a lot just, of rachel a lot of a good amount of jacob i would say
4: Peyton, I just if want to say Rachel's when you're the type of player to end up in the final two, because
3: there's bigger targets to go after when it gets down the yeah, line. Yeah, I agree. Peyton, something you said while you were making your draft picks really run true for me about how you just feel like Rachel can recover from these things, but not face the consequences. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be very true this season.
0: Okay, so I think we can agree Moona and Rachel.
3: Jacob's on there four
4: times. I feel like Jacob. I feel like Jacob's gonna get like robbed, like at the very yeah. End.
0: That's my same prediction. So I think mm-hmm. Muna, Jacob, Rachel. So that's three of our top five. We have room for two more. I'm seeing Shireen, Marcelo, Billy, Brendan.
3: Marcelo's only on their twice.
0: Brent. Yeah. Um, I don't think. So on
4: there twice, Billy's on there twice. Shireen's on there three times.
0: Okay, Josh so we. On
3: there twice. Josh. Josh. Maybe, I I don't know. Maybe Shireen for our last pick.
0: So that's our fourth. So that would be. Oh, that's our fourth. Muna, Rachel, Jacob, Shireen, and then one more person.
1: Who's tied? Mm. Marcelo. Josh,
3: Marcelo, and Billy. And Brendan.
0: I could see Marcelo going far, but that's just my prediction.
3: I feel like people are going to snake snake going
4: down.
0: That's true. That's true.
4: He got real lucky that last round with that vote. I don't think he's going to get as lucky again. True. Yeah. How
2: do
0: y'all feel about
2: Brett?
1: Anyways...
0: (laughs) I, I, think mean, it it could... I think it could happen. I think
1: it could happen. Do I want it?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's lock in. We have Muna. We have Jacob. We have Rachel. We have Shireen.
4: I don't think Brendan's a stretch either. I feel like Brendan
1: is a good fifth pick. Too. I think Brendan should be there. Okay.
0: Brendan. So we have Muna, Jacob, Rachel, Shireen, and Brendan. That is our top five. We are putting it into the universe and we will see what happens.
4: The boring straight white guy is the only white person. (laughs)
0: true well I just want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to do this with me and to everyone who listened thank you for listening um I will see you all next time when I discuss and break down the premiere of the challenge season 36 and that will be the next episode of this uh, podcast Simona's reality thank you guys